0: Half of the value is keeping them accountable to their own actions anyway. So, you know, it's not always our job to come up with the action. It's their job to, you know, it's our job to facilitate that out of them. And then once they have that, we need to make sure they actually follow it up.
1: You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 282 of Text Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Cats Accountants is an accounting practice at the central coast of New South Wales, jointly run by Dan Osborne and Tim Gass, also known as the Two Drunk Accountants. In this episode, Dan and Tim will tell you how they run Cats, what processes they streamlined, what challenges they face and what is going well. And you will see that in some ways... They struggle with what all of us struggle with, but in other ways, they are very unique and give some very interesting insights. The first voice you hear is Tim Garth, and then later, Dan Osborne joins him.
2: For some reason, I just always grew up knowing that's what I wanted to do. It's funny oh, really?
1: actually
2: Yeah, like, yes, I've, I've always struggled to explain how I knew this one, what I wanted to do. And last night I watched Billy Elliot. Have you ever watched Billy Elliot? <laughs> About yes. like the, the kid, the, <laughs> the dancers. Yeah, yeah, the kid, yeah. the dancers. And he grow, he's growing up in this rough English town <laughs> and he chooses to do ballet instead of boxing. <laughs> so and that's you, is he it? He doesn't know why, yeah. but it's just like, that's just what he likes. Mm. And it was the same with accounting. I mean, I was, gr- I was going through school. And I was like, I'm going to be an accountant. I had teachers. That were saying, why would you want to do that? That is the worst thing I've ever heard of. I literally had teachers tell me that. And, um, yeah, and I was just like, just want to do it. I think it's a great opportunity. <laughs> so, yeah,
1: but becoming an accountant is one decision, but then joining your dad's practice is a much bigger decision, I well, think.
2: For me, it was like staying local. I, I really like the lifestyle here and I get along with my parents well. So I just thought, yeah, again, just... Just great opportunity to do something which I thought I could like. <laughs> I didn't really know what it involved. Stay local and, and build a life here. So I'd say my parents do.
1: And then, were you friends before you joined Cats? Then, or did you did you become friends while working together?
0: I think Tim summed this summed this up really well. Not that long ago, we're talking to someone about it that we're probably we're definitely better friends now Mm -hmm. than we were before we worked together. But we went to the later years of high school together, so year eleven and twelve. I knew Tim then just socially. I didn't know his family had an accounting practice. I didn't know that's what he wanted to be. (laughs) I didn't want to be an accountant at the time. (laughs) I was just (laughs) off doing my own thing. We both went off to uni and uh, I think it was like my 20th birthday or something. We were sitting at a pub having a drink and uh, he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just at uni studying accounting amongst other things. Mm. And he said, uh, oh, really? That's awesome. Because we're looking for someone to come, <laughs> yeah. basically. And what I found out later was to take Tim's job, because he reception. wanted out of reception. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he I was started doing making coffees yeah. and, and doing debt collection calls, and he was filing, doing, and, doing the admin. <laughs> and He wanted he wanted out of it. He wanted to progress, so
0: he needed someone yeah. to replace him. So he suckered me into that, which was perfect because I was working in a pub. I hated it, and I was studying accounting. So I thought it's oh, a good opportunity to go and learn a little bit about this thing that i'm studying and what's it like in real life and and how do you actually do it
2: and Mm.
0: 10 years later
2: here we are yeah it was pretty crazy for a
0: long period it was you know tim's parents business and and they were calling the main shots but warren was always really open to our input you know tim especially it's his son uh, so he was always open to hearing what tim had to say and and that extended to the rest of the team as well and was always willing to let us take a chance at something new or do Mm. something new eventually Tim and I bought the business from Tim's parents. So that's that's mm. how we are now. So the decisions now are solely just Tim and I, but we're always just open. You know, there's, there's I don't think we've ever had any real friction around no. any big decisions. It's always just, if they're a small decision, we trust the other one's going to make the right call. Mm. If it's a big decision, we chat about it.
1: Yeah. How does the decision-making between you two work? Do you have separate areas of responsibility or do you work everything out together?
0: We sort of navigate to some areas each. It's not a definitive split. So, you know, it's not Tim does all of this and I do all of this, not yet, not yet, but, but we, we tend to kind of, nav- um, you know, move towards certain bits that I look after or that Tim looks after and the everyday kind of run of the mill decisions that happen, we don't necessarily need to talk about it, They just happen. Tim makes a decision. I make a decision. Yeah, that they're fine. We know the other one's got that handled. If it comes to something that's bigger, like, all right, we need to completely redo this whole process that we do, they become a decision that we just talk about. Yeah, we come to an idea, say, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Hmm. What's your input on that? Tim will say, Oh, yeah, you know, I think that's a great idea, or maybe we could do it like this. We talk about it then we go off and do it. It's basically how we do it. Yeah, I think it's exactly. no formal process. It's very logical.
1: I find your setup amazing because I actually think it's very, very unique. You do have a lot of accounting practices, of course, where a lot of people are involved, but you usually have the big shot at the top who has majority interest and then you have junior partners coming in lower down. But a setup like yours, a true partnership where both are holding 50-50, I have to say I've never seen before.
0: The other interesting thing that, that I find when I speak to other accountants, they find unique is that usually there are partners, as you said, and underneath those partners are a set of clients. Mm. That doesn't work as much with us either. Mm. Um, you know, We are client managers to specific people but we don't run reports that are, you know, what's revenue per client under Tim's yep. management, under my management. It's all these are clients are cats They're the whole team can work with them, and they might have people that they specifically speak to, but it's it's not split in a partner by partner way, which I think is also quite unique.
1: Yes, yeah, I agree because most accounting practices run an office share setup.
0: Yeah. Yep. Definitely. And shed branding. And- I think that's just the function of how we came into cats. and you know, Tim's parents and his dad specifically was, was always very open to us making those decisions with him and, and, and being part of a real team, which is, that's just evolved to where we are now, that we're still that team yeah. and we're still making those decisions together and, and growing this thing together that's that's bigger than one of us.
2: Yeah, I think it's that's right. I think Dan took the nail on the head there. It was about just trying to improve the business and the lifestyle of everyone who's part of the business, including our clients. Mm. So it wasn't really just about making the most profit or dominating the central coast accounting scene or anything like that. It's n- none of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, so yeah I guess. I,
1: yeah. I find it fascinating. So for example, you know, I can imagine a scenario where Dan works late because some tax returns are late and he's in the office until 1130 or so. And then he sees uh, on his social media feed that Tim is, is having a good time somewhere else
2: and, and that, I find it, I find, yeah. it yeah. I
1: find it amazing then that there isn't a little voice in the back that says you know oh I'm working hard here growing the brand while Tim is putting his his feet up well.
0: and that is what happens. yeah no I, I think we're very open yeah. about that yeah. to each other so if you know, if, if we do feel someone is working more hours than the other person or someone is taking more holidays than the other person, then we're very open to having that discussion to say, Hey, you worked harder than me this mm. year. I can see we we're doing the same kind of job, but your sales were X amount. Therefore mm. you, you know, you've reached the performance bonus. You should get more than that than I should mm-hmm. and vice versa. Or that you, you know, you took three months off this year. Mm. Uh, I didn't, so yeah. I should be compensated for that. Agreed. Yeah. Let's do it. We're just,
2: very open about it. I think we're just rational, logical people um, and just fair. And we mm. always came into it with the purpose of building a business that made us happy and, and we could build a lifestyle around. Mm. So, mm. and we see a lot of positives to being in partnership that outweigh, say, one of us doing more billable hours than the other mm. or ca- having strengths mm. greater than the other. And so the benefits are we can each go away and there is still an owner here to steer the ship and make decisions that perhaps wouldn't be the case. Otherwise we both bring different trains of thought, different skills and knowledge and experience, different personalities. So I just think, you know, the sum of our parts is better in partnership. I don't think we would have succeeded in, you know, in doing what we're trying to do anywhere near as much is if it were just me or just Dan. Yeah, I think that's... So, yeah, I think that's correct. And yeah, so I think that's, you know, we don't get nitty gritty. We just, we keep it nice broad strokes and trust each other.
1: Can you give me a feel for the size of cats?
2: Yeah, so uh, the number can
0: fluctuate depending on, so we have a few, or currently only one junior actually at uni. So depending on semester by semester, he might be in... Three days a week
2: or five days a week, so that can fluctuate. But what are we at the moment? Team of team of eight, eight. Dan and I work four day. We I think only two members of our team are full time, mm. and the rest are pretty much four days a week.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and for various reasons, people been, um, come back from maternity to leave. There's others who just yep. want that as lifestyle. There are others yep. here that full time. So we try and find the right people and make the work fit for them. Yeah, because that's going to get the best result for us.
1: When you say eight, does that include you or is it eight plus two?
0: Includes
2: us. Includes I us. I see.
1: Includes you. And the two people who are working full-time, is that you?
2: No, actually. So we just started working a four-day week this year. I
1: see. So you have two staff members who work full-time, mm-hmm. but you work four days a week.
2: Yep. Correct. Yeah.
1: And, and what fee volume do you have?
2: Fee. So our turnover per yeah. Or Yep. Yeah, so this year we're targeting to hit... Just over $1 million in revenue.
1: Is your niche quite broad, meaning small to medium business on the Central Coast, or is it more construction or hospitality? Or yeah. we, we
2: do
0: have some areas that we prefer to work, but we don't niche. You know, you, you go to all these, um, you go to any accounting conference and you speak to any other accountant and, and they all tell you you need to niche, you need to niche, you need to niche. But if you were niching in hospitality or tourism or <laughs> it's one of these things in the last year, you're probably in a lot of trouble right now. You know, yeah. a lot of your clients might not yeah. have been around last year. Yeah. Yeah. And we find what we really look for in our clients is a, a particular type of person or a state of mind in their business. You know, they want that support. They want that help. Hmm. They want an accountant who's going to be a strategic partner in their business, not someone who gets, gets them a tax return done for the cheapest price possible. Yeah. So yeah. any small to medium business anywhere in the country who fit that mold, We'd like to talk to.
1: We all have a niche, you know. None of us can service everybody in Australia, including yeah. Google and uh, BHP. We all have a niche. The question is just how big or how wide or narrow yeah. uh, that niche is.
0: I suppose
2: what I meant is it's not a, a specific to one industry alone. Exactly, it yeah. might be several. You no know, yeah. Interestingly enough, like I think we're developing individual niches mm. in 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 our business. So, for example, I work just out of chance. I work with a lot of professional service businesses. So, mm. I think and given, you know, our own business is professional service, I'm a bit of a nerd in that area. Then has been working with some manufacturing and carriers of inventory. Yes. Which could be, you know, you could call that retail, online retailers or business to business e-commerce, business yeah. to business e-commerce. And so I've got a f- I've got some clients in that space I work pretty closely with too. Mm. Um, and then we've got, you know, building and construction, the Central Coast, economy is basically riding the back of, of building and construction. There's, there's so many people involved in that industry on the coast. So it'd be impossible, possible for us to not have a ton of clients in that space and and a lot of experience in that space as well. So, yeah, I think when you put it that way, there is definitely niches. We're operating within, and I guess it would be cool. It's definitely something in the back of my mind. I'd love to sit down and just pick five and focus more on those. Um, But we do, as i just listed them out there are several that we mm. feel like we service better
1: and are you mainly on zero or, because i saw somebody on your team is also myob do you drive both softwares or are you mainly zero
0: given our preference it'll always be zero but we're happy to work with any client on any software if, yep. if they really really like myob then i'm going to ask hey is everything okay <laughs> with you and then <laughs> and then ask if they want to move to zero. But but we're happy to work with
2: NYB uh, or QuickBooks or whatever they really yeah. want or whatever works best in their business. Yeah, exactly. So we still like... And the reason we're like that is because Dan and I both started in the industry when MYB was the only product. So we worked in MYB every day, all day. I was doing bookkeeping, entering transactions where I had to manually enter every date, description, the contact, the amount off a bank statement. So we're very averse to what, my how MYB works. It hasn't changed that much really. No, <laughs> <It>. unfortunately. <laughs> yes. It it's can be a little bit of a challenge to find the version of it these days if they're on the desktop, but that's the worst part I find. And then the rolling over and the backing up, and not working a live file that can just really kill me. <laughs> uh, Get, getting irritated yeah, just thinking yeah, about yeah. it. So MYB, you know, that's, there's some of the things which I'm not a big fan of, and which is why, which is why zero. And as soon as we figured out what zero was, we realized, wow, this could be business changing. This could be life changing for mm-hmm. us and our clients. And yeah, that's why we've just pushed that way yeah. since. And a lot of
0: our internal systems are all in zero. So we use zero tax and work papers and, and in systems that integrate with zero files. So yeah, the more clients that are on that, the smoother our processes go yeah. for their work. So you'll find that often if someone comes with an MIB, there's extra steps. The job takes longer. Mm-hmm. It costs them yeah. more than to get that job done.
2: Well, especially if Dan and I are trying to get ourselves off doing a majority of compliance work mm. it's quite funny now the team members coming through who are younger aren't exposed to myob so they find jobs in myb a lot more difficult so yeah it just it just makes it more tricky with training and education for our team if we're taking on a lot of myb clients if they have a clunky file or an old file if it's essentials it's really not too bad and if mm. it's an up-to-date version of account right live then then it's it's really not too bad but But yeah, zero is the preference for sure.
1: What big apps have you plugged into zero? Are you? Do you have Practice Ignition plugged in, or
2: that probably was one of the first big ones we plugged in was Practice Ignition. It kind of went like, we're like, what's this zero thing? Got a few clients on zero. Maybe we should test zero out. So we moved our bookkeeping to zero, and then we realized, wow, this is so efficient. Mm. Um, What else could we do? And then I searched around for a direct debit payment system. This was like. I don't know. This must be six years ago. We were very early adapters to practice ignition. Yeah. So I found practice ignition. Mm. I was like, oh, wow, this sounds really cool. You can do proposals, engagement letters, and take monthly direct debits. That's amazing. And it'll reconcile itself in zero. Mm. How good does that sound? So, so we went down that path and, and trying to set up these packages that we'd been hearing about in the industry, which was essentially just, you know, trying to do more of a value based pricing approach and breaking it up into 12 installments so yeah that's our biggest one to this day we still use and i sent out three proposals yesterday yeah so we're a big fan of that
1: what software do you use for uh, smsfs
2: class class yes
1: so how many smsfs do you have
2: there's a few shutting down at the moment but it's 50 it was 50 oh
1: okay so that's quite a good size
2: yeah like it grew a lot I mean the last couple of years I think we had 20 maybe when we first went to class yeah well, that must be seven or eight years ago now as well i think yeah it was, it was a, a fair, fair while, fair while yeah. we used to use simple fund because so originally when we first started our
0: practice was most clients were on myob and we used accountant's office as our practice management software so that's where it started the progression went NYOB moved to zero we realized we could get xpm zero practice manager for free and we're paying a thousand dollars we'll yeah. a month for aos and it was yeah. worse so we moved mm-hmm. to XPM. Mm-hmm. Then we adapted all our work papers and used zero work papers and zero tax. And then a practice ignition. Yeah, practice And then we had a way to make it. We're using BGL
2: software. Yeah, it was BGL. You were
1: using BGL desktop.
2: Yeah. Yes. I've done
1: exactly the same journey. I also moved yeah. from BGL desktop to. To class. Class. Okay.
2: What do you think
0: about class? It's
1: great. I'm actually familiar i with both with BGA three SF's three sixty and class. The main thing I like about class is the support that you can call somebody.
2: Yeah, okay. I really
1: like that. And you get an answer straight away rather than having to wait a day or two until you get an online message.
2: That's really interesting. I mean, we've spoken to a lot of accountants who like bgls 360 simple sf3 360 yeah, SF360, because it's yeah. pricey i mean i think it's a fair bit cheaper I think, like. yeah
1: it's a fair bit cheaper if you don't have many funds yeah. so class is priced is that it's not economical for um, accounting practices with just five or ten funds yeah. but with you having 50 funds class and bgl are probably on par cost wise
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. So We've it's more that class made a, class
1: made a conscious decision that they don't want the um that they don't want the small guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The other interesting thing is so we we moved our uh, corporate compliance through to now infinity and now class and now infinity, same thing. Yeah, that, that is
2: handy. Yeah, I mean they're the same company. Same, same company. company now, now, that's yeah. that's the other one of the other big apps we use is now infinity. So we do a lot of uh, entity, entity setup structuring and, mm. and planning. Mm. Um, so that's how funny.
1: do you get new clients into your pipeline? Do you just have a good word of mouth, or do you have a specific approach to things?
2: We've
0: we've tried a number of things over the years. Some of them more successful than others. The the one consistent has always been word of mouth referrals from you know relationships we've got with other professionals or from existing clients. So that that's always been the one source that's stayed the same. Apart from that, yeah, we have tried things like. Google ads and Facebook ads and they yeah. haven't been very successful.
2: No. Yeah. With any foray into advertising hasn't been, hasn't been um, our best experience. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. It's, it's a constantly evolving space. We, we want to do better than what we're doing right now with our marketing and advertising. I guess we've got the podcast has kind of turned into that a little bit.
1: Which processes do you think are the most automated and which processes do you still have the most manual input?
2: Yeah. So we've been on a journey
0: for as far back as I can remember to try and make every process as, you know, as seamless as possible and as frictionless as possible and automating everything isn't possible, but we've gone through various incarnations of the same thing, over and over and over again. You know, you mm. should just look at our individual tax return yeah. system. <laughs> we, we've thrown yeah. that out and restarted that process every couple of years mm. since I've been here. Yeah. Okay. And so
1: what does it look like? Do you have a project management software where every step is listed or what does automating your ITRs look like?
0: So right now, I'll just explain how it works. So somebody gets in touch and says, I want you to do my work or we approach them and say it's time to do your work for an individual tax return. And they get a link. They click on that link. It's an online form that they fill out that gets or at least prepares them to get all the information that they need to get for us.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. Who provides this online form? Is it Monkey Survey or where do you get the online form from?
2: Actually, it's Typeform at the moment. It's type Typeform right now. It's and about to potentially be Google. Yeah, with Google Considering forms. changing it. Yeah. Um, but, but right now it's Typeform, yeah. which
0: just uses it's a Microsoft thing and uses syncs through to SharePoint. SharePoint.
2: So all the data is collected through into SharePoint. And the idea was we'd eventually build up a database of our personal tax clients, the information they're submitting around the deductions each year. And then we could actually build more efficiencies, efficiencies and automation in there where when they get their link, it's got personalized information for them. In the form already. For so since could last say,
0: year you uh, deducted this much in motor vehicle. Do you have a similar thing this year? That's right. That uh, was what we wanted yeah. to achieve. It hasn't got to that point yet, mm. but right now they fill out the form, they upload documents to send to us, and once they complete that, they get a second email to then book an appointment. Yep. And they can go into a calendar, book an appointment with one of our ITR specialists. Phone appointment. A phone appointment, and at that time we would have prepared their return to a point. We have a number of just little questions. We call them. We go through it for 15 minutes. We complete it. They e-sign it
2: and we lodge it. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And what's the standard fee for an ITR?
2: So, yeah, that's 200 and, Is it $220 including GST. Yeah, yeah. $220. Yeah.
1: Have you staggered that based on how many sources of income, whether it includes foreign income, whether it includes yeah. Yeah. share no, trading? No, have you staggered no, it? That's, that's, it? The
0: that's the bare the s- minimum. That's the starting fee for an yeah.
2: ITR. So if there's a, a rental property... It's more a business, it's more- Capital gains calculations, so complex- yeah. Compocurrencies.
1: Yep. Cryptocurrencies.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Cryptos, yeah, that'll, <laughs> that'll, that'll do it for sure. So if there's anything more complex, it's generally another 100 to $200 per tax return. Yeah,
0: and, and you know, individual tax returns aren't necessarily our target market. We, yeah. we, you know, a lot of individual tax clients think that is all we do, but yeah. it's actually a very small part of our business as a whole. And yeah. so we've tried to make it as efficient as, a po- as possible for us, but also mm. as seamless for the client. So it's very easy for them to get it done and yeah. it's very easy for us to get it done for them. So we can keep the price lower yeah. because, you know, for a lot of people who might be just that employee somewhere that has a few deductions, it's probably... Starting to get out of their price range to get a yeah. professional to do it. Yeah. Um, because it does take just a bare minimum amount of time. They are going to get a return from that. You know, where mm. we're going to be able to find deductions for them that they might have been not been able to do themselves. And that fee is tax deductible. And our fee is tax deductible. There's a whole yeah. bunch of reasons why to do it, but we still want to try and make it affordable for those people. Yeah.
2: Cause generally they will have a lower value threshold. And that's yeah. why in the beginning we're like, this is crazy. We're sitting down doing one hour meetings face-to-face for uh, at the time, probably 170 or $180 tax return. So it was 150 At one point it was 150 if you went back maybe three or four years ago. So mm-hmm. yeah. It, so that's why we just had to change that completely. We're like, if it's mm-hmm. a fine meeting, it'll go for 15 or 20 minutes. If we e-sign, then we don't have to have them dropping in documents. If it's an online form to submit their info, we'll get the basis of what our conversation will be about, and we can do a setup of the tax return with the prefill in Zero Tax, which is fabulous. If no one's, if you're not using that, Zero Tax is amazing. Um, you can get the prefill, and put some information in there, check what they did last year. Your chat's going to be pretty quick to get that sorted. So. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's basically what we've done there. And, and so that was an interesting experience for us. I yeah, think it was because we did try to automate that mm. to a very large extent and we kind of failed. We did. Yeah. <laughs> that was what it was. A Mark, <laughs> Mark Jenkins from the gap would call it learning, Yeah. And yeah, we learned, I think that automation to the nth degree may not be worth it. it just builds things, systems that don't have friction. Mm that work well. The best thing that came out of that was the automated calendar booking system. For some reason, that was the best thing that came out of trying to build that online form. Yeah. That saves the most time. Instead of 10 calls a week, trying to book appointments in an unstructured calendar, we now have an automated booking system and people can just in the convenience on their phone, their own time, a meeting for our personal tax specialist for a phone call.
1: So ITR is an area you heavily streamlined. Is that the only area or is there another one apart from onboarding with Practice Ignition?
2: Uh, yeah, that's funny. So the onboarding with Practice Ignition is, it is good. So actually, so that's one. We went down the path of trying to set XPM up so that we can have really good visibility over all of our jobs and tasks. Because of the structure of a lot of our, job our uh, state compliance is sitting in packages. So we can plan out, well, we've got four bazers, tax return, financials, some personal tax returns, annual ASIC lodgement. We know all the tasks we need to complete. Why don't we set up job templates in XPM that can push through from practice ignition when they accept a package. And then we can assign the tasks, the timing, the hours um, allowed for that task.
1: And you do that all in XPM?
2: Yeah, that was... We tried to. uh, That was the idea. (laughs) But uh, that is an area I think XM is really lacking. Yeah. Uh, It's very hard to have visibility over the jobs and tasks of your whole team. You, You wouldn't think it would be, but it is. The best way to probably do it is to put together a custom report. Mm. which is obviously not going to allow you to change things around in there. You then have to go one by one and adjust tasks or jobs. So the
0: process to send the client the proposal, they accept it and push those tasks and jobs into XPM was seamless. We didn't have to do a thing for that. That that works really well. But that once those jobs were in there and we had to manage those jobs, it became much more difficult.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And so actually (laughs) we've de-automated the managing of the jobs uh, to an extent. We had a new staff member or team member come along about 18 months ago and she, she's older than us. She's got a lot more experience and you know, she's worked in the industry for 25 years. Her team used to work in a big master spreadsheet and we we're like, initially we we're like, Ugh. Yeah, <laughs> going back to spreadsheets. That sounds terrible. But it's given us so much more visibility with the fact that we can all work in the same spreadsheet with online office suite. Yeah. Uh, it just means that actually just keeping our jobs and to-dos in a spreadsheet together is the best way at the moment i hope that we're not doing that in 10 years time but so we still have all of those tasks and jobs get uh,
0: created in xpm um, but we use them to allocate time to invoice to monitor whip all that side of it still happens and still works fine yeah Um, but the actual who's doing
2: what job doesn't happen in there anymore yeah we Mm -hmm. don't monitor what jobs are on or tasks are on in there that's done separately. I mean, we tried to use plan, right? Which we still might eventually.
0: Um, have you heard of plan, right?
1: No. It,
0: it sinks into XPM, takes all the jobs and tasks and puts it in like a Gantt chart and, and some tables and things that you can yep. move around and quite easily reallocate jobs. Yeah. Depending on how you've got things set up in
2: XPM, makes a very big difference to how it works. Definitely. And then how you set up plan, right? But exactly. the concept of it is good and it's very cost effective. I think it's like $100 a month for a team of 10. Mm. And yeah, basically we were hoping we could do more Resource planning with that. So we can look forward a few weeks to a month and say, wow, in know, two weeks, you're out of tasks. So why don't we look to get some more work in? Yeah. And so we now we, to that point. we do do that, but, but just so not you,
1: You're already payment. using what? plan, right?
0: We started and then stopped.
2: We are oh, using it. Like we yeah. still subscribe and we do have plans to improve that system, but we've rolled it out a few times with the team to limited success because yeah. um, people find it a little difficult to use to the way they want to see it. But mm. that's kind of the way we've set it up. So we need to yeah. change Man. that around. The, yeah. the, but I'd say the best automation we have throughout the entire business is
0: just our annual tax processes, work papers, yeah. using Zero. That whole process is quite smooth. Yes. And using suite files, document signing, yep. we, we've automate. we've tried to um, at least add technology to make it more Yep. Uh, seamless and frictionless for all those processes. That
2: process is quite good. So yeah. we, we use just existing tools that we have through the mm. zero suite or through suite files to collect information in. Mm-hmm. Then what that'll do is notify us through Teams. Mm-hmm. So the relevant person in that team will get a notification automatically, pushed to them, which comes from an email inbox.
0: <laughs> yeah. So um, we've set up some, some auto-forwarding rules that yeah. go from... Uh, an inbox that we've got that gets notifications from zero or when people complete questions and things, people sign up to a package
2: So tim gas has completed your zero ask questions yeah (laughs) and and that'll
0: be automatically forwarded to a specific team in microsoft teams that the people who relate to that work people do that task yeah yeah so then you get a notification to say you know um the auditor has returned queries about this mm, audit. True, uh, and the people who do super funds will see that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Have you looked into FYI Docs? Because since you yeah. use pipeform, which yeah. is a Microsoft product, hence I assume you're on Microsoft. Yes. And FYI Docs it works with Microsoft mail. Have you yeah. looked into that?
0: We did. Yeah, we actually yeah. had yeah. Uh, Rob. On yeah. on the podcast yeah. once, yep. uh, we spoke to him and, and we I looked at it at awesome the time. Product. It is a great product. Yeah. At the time, we were actually trying to go down a completely different angle. We decided yeah. to build our own document management <laughs> system, and yeah. that was another flirting. Yeah, that was a flirting. Uh, yeah, what, what we did was we were trying to build a SharePoint. We we're, were building a SharePoint yeah. system that would work exactly how we wanted it to work. Yeah, uh, it didn't end up working out, and eventually yeah. we said all right, we need to go something different. We reviewed FYI docs again. We reviewed suite files and decided to go with suite files. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. FYI is a great product there. Mm-hmm. Ideas around integrating with the ATO and things like that, were are quite ahead of its time when Definitely.
1: we
2: originally looked at it. Definitely, definitely.
1: Don't you find it incredibly difficult to work out which software to go with? Oh, you know, decision. just just the question of FY Docs or Sweet Files—just that mm. I find it really mind-boggling. That decision
2: it, it, was—it came six down to twelve months in the making.
0: Yeah, and like, and it, and it, it came down like to something you wouldn't expect: is that a lot of our team was yeah. so used to using a folder Folders, structure yeah. that it was just easier for them to navigate in Sweet Files than it was to use metadata in FYI. That was yeah. it. That was the whole reason we
2: ended up going to sweep Metadata scares me a bit. Mm. Like, yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Tag it, tag it. You don't need folders. Folders are messy. And you search for that tag, but then, Often, I can't think of the tag. I can't think of what tag I've tagged that with or what tag that team member would tag it with. <laughs> yes.
1: And then they create new tags. And in the yeah. end, you have 15 different tags have, for the same so if- thing.
2: We always had folders. We had, there was never a problem for our, mm. for our team. We always had folders and a good, rigid folder structure because we came from using How Now and that had a good folder structure system. So, yeah, it's like, very simple <sighs> client year. Yeah. So, FYI docs couldn't do the folders mm. or what well, that wasn't why it should be used or how it should be used so yeah. we went with sweet files and um we've been really happy with it Sweet Actually, files has been, been great awesome. yeah we, we're very happy yeah. we were lucky
0: enough to have you know we had been on this cloud journey we're probably a little bit ahead of the time um when we first started it and you know we adapted all this cloud technology but our document storage was the server. last piece yeah. it was still on the server yeah. uh, until probably i don't know a, a year and a half almost ago. when the server started dying when the server started <laughs> dying and, and and that's because it just took us too long to make a decision about what we wanted to do we, we were on the journey to find out what to do two years before that you know we've wow. been thinking about this for a long time it just <laughs> we couldn't make a decision on it
1: looking ahead what are your plans for cats in 2021
0: mm. yeah we got some big plans actually so what Tim kind of mentioned before is, you know, he and I are focusing more on that extra value we can give to our clients. That's through the advisory type work, mm. and we've been doing that for a while. But we know how much, just through our own experience, how much value that can give a small business owner to have someone there that's keeping them accountable to actions, helping them monitoring their numbers, doing business planning, cash flow forecasting with them. Yeah, uh, and we want to provide that to more and more people. So our purpose this year or sorry, our goals this year is is really to to help more of our clients and other businesses with that support. And we're going to do that through a number number of ways. One is just the same way we have been doing it one-to-one with the client sitting here doing business planning sessions and accountability sessions. But the more exciting part for us because it's new is using our Knowledge and expertise with things like the podcast, mm. and creating online systems and online courses and online mm. group accountability, yep. and pushing that out to everyone—not just people who are clients, but anyone out there who wants to participate in these these services that we can provide. Yeah, and one that's going to come up pretty soon is something that we're going to be doing, which is it's an eight-week sprint, and it's you know running a business is a marathon. This is a sprint to get you in the right direction. And it's basically a short eight-week period where we do an intensive mm. let's let's review these mm. several factors with a group of other like-minded businesses and help get you on that first step to to getting your business to where you want it to be. Yeah. And and that's something that we wouldn't have been able to do if we were, you know, on the,
2: tool, on the tools. On the tools
0: and and using software that was inefficient and haven't had the opportunity to automate.
2: Yeah.
1: Don't you find that this business advice that's when it really comes down to how narrowly you niche when you have one cafe one construction business one media company one god knows what etc when you always just have one client in each industry it is really difficult to gather enough knowledge to be able to share business advice. I find the ability to share business advice really only comes with having 5, 10, 15 clients within the same industry and learning from each client. Don't you find? I
0: think that's definitely true. Uh, I think having several clients in the one industry will mean you have a broader knowledge of the the specific problems that they face. But most businesses face the same couple of problems. You know, most businesses flow. have a cash flow problem. You yeah. know, most businesses need some way to help grow their bottom line. Yeah. How do you do that? Well, it's usually the same type of things. Yeah. <laughs> there are specific issues that each of those businesses face in their industry. Yeah. And having that broader, no- uh, sorry, having that more specific knowledge from other clients that you work with definitely helps, which is why Tim was mentioning before he loves working with professional services because he's been digging into our own business and yeah. helping other clients that he's got doing the same thing, Yeah. which helps that, you know. Um, yeah but Which, us, yeah
2: i think like a lot of us accountants underestimate we have access to especially if you're not nation if you if you're not nation you've got clients in different industries every every single one of those clients is an industry expert <laughs> generally yeah. unless they're very <laughs> new to their business they understand their industry just as well as anyone else and and it's that whole concept of one plus one equals three mm. and so it's like the sum of our parts are greater when we combine them. Mm. So if we can give you information and experiences that we've had or we've seen clients have, and then you can use your industry experience and your business Mm. knowledge of your own business, your own team, your own clients, then you should be better off.
0: So, and, and half of the, half of the value is keeping them accountable to their own actions anyway. So, you know, it's not always our job to come up with the action. It's their job to, you know where it's our job to facilitate that out of them and then once they have that we need to make sure they actually
2: follow it up this is literally mm-hmm. like years of learning this is taking us a long time to get to just saying that i was exactly just like, it you know it asked that ask
0: us that question two three years ago and we'd be saying yeah stuff. no i agree we can't help them <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, and it'll keep evolving. It's interesting.
1: I have two more questions for you. The first one is you're wearing t-shirts. Does everybody at Cats wear the black t-shirt with the word cats on it?
0: We also have white ones. Yeah, we have (laughs) white ones as well. Yeah. yeah, so yes. generally, yes. We wear so do that.
1: you have black days and white days? So on black days, everybody has to wear the black T-shirt and on white days, everybody has to wear the white T-shirt.
0: It's yeah. amazing when everyone turns up on a day with the yeah. same shirt. It can happen. Yeah, it can happen, but it's it's like a special day.
2: Yeah. Uh, I always joke, oh, we all got the memo today. A yeah.
1: Yeah. Second question, do new clients confuse you? Do and new clients it, confuse Tim and Dan? Yeah, sometimes
2: <laughs> that does happen. Sometimes yeah.
0: the the bigger con, the bigger confusion uh, over the past ten years <laughs> because you is do look, think
1: you do look like, like brothers, yeah. Yeah, you you <laughs> look very similar.
2: Maybe Brother
0: from another mother.
2: In real life, I reckon in, if you were here in the room, you'd be like, now clearly you guys aren't brothers. But, I
0: think the bigger confusion is, yeah, we we both have a three letter name, Tim yeah. Dan. We're both the same age. And a lot of people for a long time thought I was Warren's son. (laughs) They'd say, how's your dad? And I'd say, pretty good. (gasps) You know, I I wouldn't create them as, yeah, he's great. Thanks. And not knowing that I wasn't Warren's son, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, not, not once they get to know us, not at all, but usually if, if they've not, you know, maybe know us peripherally, Mm -hmm. they might get us confused.
1: Welcome back. There are seven things that caught my attention in this talk. It is unusual for a son and friend to take over a practice. Most accounting practices in Australia are sold to a third party when the founder retires, be it a third party outside the firm or somebody already working within the firm. Katz has no clear split of responsibilities between the two partners. There is no big line in the sand. You would think that this wouldn't work, but it obviously does. Number 3. In most partnerships, you have the big honcho and then some junior partners with separate profit centers, separate cost centers and staff allocated to particular partners, where the partners share the branding, marketing and office administration. But apart from that, each really runs their own practice. But at CATS, there is no hardcore split of clients, staff or resources. Their business analytics don't look at who is bringing in what. Instead, it is all for all. So it is run as a true partnership, which is rare among Australian accounting practices. Number four, there is a saying that you shouldn't do business for friends. But Dan and Tim managed to do just that. Maybe the secret is that they managed to paint in big strokes and not sweat the small stuff. Number five, Katz has a team of eight, but only two of those work full time. The rest, including Tim and Dan, work four days a week. That is the equivalent of 6.8 full time people. So two full time and six four days a week. With a turnover of one million, that is pretty close to the team structure. at Chen proposed in episode 199 and 200. I really recommend those two episodes. There he suggests to have five grinders, one minder, and then one finder. So basically seven people to manage one million of fees. But of course the finder is not really included. But, you know, so six to seven people for one million dollars of fees and Tim and Dan have 6.8 people. So pretty much within the ballpark. Number six, cats doesn't niche by industry, but by personality and state of mind. And number seven, CATS streamlined the process of individual text returns really well using online forms and then e-calendar appointment booking and then just a short phone call before e-signing and lodgment. So these are seven things that caught my attention but in other ways of course CATS is a typical practice with a turnover of one million. No accounting practice can be unique in every way. So, for example, their move from MYOB to Xero is quite typical. The largest chunk of Xero users in Australia probably came from MYOB. CATS is also probably quite typical in that after Xero, they went on to practice ignition. But please listen to Ryan Lazanis in the Future Firm Accounting Podcast, where he will tell you that you first need to get a reliable source of regular leads and enough volume before worrying about automation. It seems to be quite common to match the corporate compliance software with your SMSF software, and that also applies to CATS. So if you're on class, you usually use now Infinity, since also a class product. And if you're on BGL SimpleFund 360, then you usually use CAS 360 since both are BGL products. And then the last thing, just like all or most of us, Cats tried Google and Facebook ads and it is still work in progress for them. Social media and Google advertising is really hard to get right. So these were some thoughts about this interview with Dan and Tim. A big thank you to them for sharing the inner workings of their practice so openly. In the next episode, episode 283, Dan and Tim will talk about their podcast, The Two Drunk Accountants, how they started, what they learned and how they do it. Maybe it gives you ideas for your own podcast. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.